Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. My name is Alexa Glenser. I'm a fourth-year general surgery resident at the University of California, San Francisco. I have the privilege of working with Dr. Rita Mukhtar, an associate professor of general and breast surgery at UCSF, as well as one of our associate program directors. Hello, everyone. And Dr. Michael Alvarado, a professor of breast and melanoma surgery at UCSF. Hey there. Today is our first of six dedicated sessions dedicated to breast surgery case presentations or journal club reviews. We are honored to have the opportunity to share these sessions with all of you on the BTK platform. So without anything further, let's get started. Today, we would like to discuss the case of a young woman, 39 years of age, diagnosed with stage two triple negative breast cancer. She presented to her primary care doctor after palpating a mass in her left breast. She had not previously undergone screening mammograms given her young age and lack of a known strong family history of breast cancer. Her PCP confirmed the presence of the breast mass on exam, but did not identify any palpable axillary nodes. Dr. Mukhtar, what should the first step be when a breast lump is identified? Thanks, Alexa. I'd like to reiterate what you said about being excited to join the BTK team as guest moderators. So one of the first steps when evaluating a patient with a new breast lump is to ask some questions not only about the presentation of the lump, signs and symptoms, etc., but also questions that give you a sense of the patient's baseline risk of developing breast cancer. We want to ask questions like whether or not the patient has ever had a breast biopsy before, the age at menarche, the age at first full-term pregnancy, and any family history of malignancies. These factors can help you stratify a patient into someone who has average risk of developing breast cancer versus high risk of developing breast cancer. There are a number of models that you can use to do these risk calculations. One of the commonly used ones is the Gale model, also known as the Breast Cancer Risk Assessment Tool. And understanding whether a patient is average risk or high risk might influence your level of concern when evaluating a breast lump. In terms of imaging, the diagnostic workup of a breast lump always includes breast ultrasound. Additionally, if the patient is over the age of 30, you should also get a diagnostic mammogram. Under the age of 30, the density of the breast can make interpreting the mammogram more difficult and it's less helpful in that setting. So what is the difference between a screening and diagnostic mammogram? That's a good question. So like all screening tests, screening mammograms are only obtained in asymptomatic patients. The screening mammogram has two standard views, craniocaudal and mediolateral oblique. If someone actually has a symptom or a finding on a screening mammogram, they should get a diagnostic mammogram. So in addition to the two standard views, the diagnostic mammogram gets some magnified views on the area of interest. So an example would be an abnormal screening mammogram would be followed by a diagnostic mammogram Or if a patient like this one has a breast lump, you would go straight to the diagnostic mammogram. Okay, great. Our patient undergoes a diagnostic mammogram that reveals a mass in the the left breast with calcifications and spiculated borders. The ultrasound shows a three centimeter irregular mass with posterior acoustic shadowing. It is considered a BIRADS-4 lesion. Dr. Mukhtar, what does BIRADS-4 mean? 
All right, so the BIRAD system is a way that radiologists have standardized their communication with clinicians. So when you image a breast lesion, there are certain features that are more concerning for malignancy than others. So for example, in this case, you mentioned that the mass was irregular and there was posterior acoustic shadowing. These findings would be more suspicious. So the BIRAD system stands for Breast Imaging Reporting and Data System, and there are six levels of suspicion, zero to six. I guess that's seven levels. I like to think of the extremes and then the middle to help me remember what these different levels correspond to. So if we start with BIRAD zero, BIRAD zero basically means that there's not enough data for the radiologist to make an assessment. So if the radiologist wants additional images, then they will call it BIRAD zero. An example would be an abnormal screening mammogram would be called BIRAD zero, and then that would prompt getting a diagnostic mammogram. At the other extreme, you have BIRAD six. BIRAD six means that the lesion is already known to be a malignancy based on a previous biopsy. So someone who's already diagnosed with breast cancer but is undergoing breast imaging for whatever reason would be, would be said to have a BIRAD six lesion. Then we have the middle, which is BIRADS three. BIRADS three is essentially indeterminate. The level of suspicion is low enough that a biopsy is not recommended, but it's high enough that close follow-up with another mammogram in six months is recommended. If there's a BIRADS three lesion, that corresponds to a roughly 3% chance or less that the lesion is malignant. That leaves BIRADS one and two and BIRADS four and five. So BIRADS one and two are almost always benign, and BIRADS 4 and 5 are suspicious enough that a needle biopsy is recommended. Great. Our patient undergoes an ultrasound-guided core biopsy, which reveals invasive ductal carcinoma. It is estrogen and progesterone receptor negative and HER2 negative. That is, it is a triple negative breast cancer. Dr. Alvarado, what are the implications of this tumor being classified as triple negative, particularly in a young patient? Thanks, Alexa. Um, and I'm also very happy to be part of this BTK podcast. So, so yes, triple negative breast cancers represent roughly about 15% of all breast cancers. Now, that's compared to hormone receptor positive cancers or ER positive breast cancers, which are um, a little bit different. Now, triple negative breast cancers are commonly diagnosed in younger women, typically the very young under the age of 40, and also triple negative breast cancers tend to be more common in black women relative to white women. Up to about 20% of patients with triple negative breast cancers are also positive for the BRCA gene, um, meaning that they are mutation carriers for BRCA. And any patient under the age of 60 years old that's diagnosed with a triple negative breast cancer should undergo BRCA germline mutation testing. Triple negative breast cancers are considered more biologically aggressive than hormone receptor positive tumors like ER positive breast cancers. And also triple, triple negative breast cancers are most often high grade or grade three breast cancers. Now, they can't be treated with endocrine therapy, so tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors because they are by, by effect estrogen receptor negative. And also they're not eligible for HER2 directed or HER2-targeted therapies such as Herceptin and Progetta. So triple negative breast cancers have a significant overlap with what we refer to as basal-like molecular subtype and, again, tend to be these high-grade type tumors. 
Okay, thanks, Dr. Alvarado. The mammogram also reveals an enlarged left axillary lymph node. So our patient had an axillary ultrasound, which confirmed a level one node with cortical thickening to five millimeters. She underwent fine needle aspiration and clip placement in the node, which was positive for invasive carcinoma. Dr. Mukhtar, is there any additional imaging that should be performed at this time? So right now, based on imaging, the patient has a tumor, which is three centimeters in size. So that's going to be T2. And she has a positive axillary node based on the results of the FNA that you just told us. Uh, So the patient has a T2N1 tumor and the clinical staging is stage 2. I would want to know if the patient has any systemic symptoms that would be concerning for metastatic disease like pain, weight loss, or double vision. If she had any worrisome symptoms, I would get a CT scan of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis along with a bone scan or a whole body PET CT. In the absence of symptoms, staging is recommended only for clinical stage 3 disease In my practice, I would likely get a breast MRI to further evaluate the extent of disease in the breast because our patient is 39 and likely has dense breasts, which does lower the sensitivity of mammography. Okay. Our patient undergoes a breast MRI that does not demonstrate any additional suspicious lesions, and the left breast tumor is again measured at 3.5 centimeters. Is there any additional testing that should be performed at this time? Yes. As Dr. Alvarado mentioned, this patient should be referred to a genetic counselor for genetic testing. Regardless of family history, any patient diagnosed with breast cancer under the age of 45 meets NCCN criteria for genetic testing. And as mentioned before, triple negative breast cancers like this one are associated with BRCA1 mutations. So anyone with a triple negative breast cancer under the age of 60 should also be referred for testing. Okay, great. She is sent for genetic testing, but this can be done while we are also developing and implementing her treatment plan. Dr. Alvarado, how does the finding of a positive axillary node in combination with triple negative disease affect your treatment recommendations? Yeah, that's a great question as well. And I think for this type of patient, we really look towards the neoadjuvant chemotherapy way of treating patients. And so when we say neoadjuvant chemotherapy, we mean chemotherapy prior to surgical resection. While triple negative breast cancers cannot be treated with hormone therapy or targeted HER2 agents, they do typically respond particularly well to chemotherapy, likely due to their higher proliferation rate. So that also goes along what we mentioned earlier, the the grade 3 type of tumor or the, the biological aspect of these tumors that are triple negative. A study of three CLGB randomized controlled studies involving greater than 6,000 patients did establish the particular benefits of chemotherapy in hormone receptor negative breast cancer relative to hormone receptor positive breast cancer patients. With an average follow-up of 17 years, this study found that patients with estrogen receptor negative breast cancers treated with chemotherapy had a significant decrease in their risk of breast cancer recurrences and death compared to those with estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. And importantly, all patients enrolled in these trials had positive axillary lymph nodes, and all chemotherapy was administered in the adjuvant setting. But having said that, I think doing it in a neoadjuvant setting really adds to some important aspects. Now, there isn't any recurrence or survival benefit with doing the chemotherapy before surgery, but there are additional benefits to doing the neoadjuvant therapy. 
For example, looking at the effect in terms of response to neoadjuvant chemotherapy has a benefit of allowing the patient to undergo lumpectomy. For example, if the tumor was too large to have lumpectomy at the time of presentation. Um, For example, a patient may be needing a mastectomy based on the size of the tumor, but the chemotherapy in the neoadjuvant, neoadjuvant setting could allow for a shrinking of that tumor. At the time of the surgery, once she's had all of her chemotherapy, we can also look at the pathologic response to that chemotherapy. The pathologic response can give more information about prognosis, and specifically, if we're looking at a pathologic complete response, this really does put that patient into a very good prognostic category, and we can assume that she's going to have a very low risk of recurrence. So the neoadjuvant aspect does give not only information on prognosis, but potentially can downstage the patient so she can have less surgery. Okay, great. Are there certain chemotherapy regimens that are are typically used in the neoadjuvant setting? And should this patient be considered for enrollment in a clinical trial? So in a young and otherwise healthy patient with stage 2 or 3 triple negative breast cancer, one of the standardly used regimens is called ACT. So this is adriamycin, which is also known as doxorubicin, in combination with cyclophosphamide and paclitaxel. Uh, Sometimes the medical oncologist will add carboplatin as well if the tumor doesn't appear to be responding adequately to the ACT. Earlier this month, actually, the FDA just approved the use of immunotherapy with pembrolizumab in the neoadjuvant setting for triple negative breast cancer patients. This was based on the results of the Keynote 522 trial. This trial showed significantly improved event-free survival in those who obtained a pathologic complete response and significantly higher rates of pathologic complete response in those who were randomized to pembrolizumab in combination with chemotherapy. So I anticipate that medical oncologists will be implementing immunotherapy in the neoadjuvant setting for these patients. That's very exciting. Um, It's very novel to be using immunotherapy as neoadjuvant therapy for breast cancer patients. Our episode today is sponsored by Panacea Financial a digital bank that's making banking better for doctors because it was built by doctors who lived through the financial frustrations themselves. Whether you're a fourth-year med student, a resident, or an attending physician, Panacea offers free checking with no ATM fees nationwide, 24-7 customer service, and loan options designed specifically for physicians. At Panacea Financial, you can get a PRN personal loan up to $75,000, funded in in as little as 24 hours at less than half the interest rate of a credit card. Panacea Financial also gives you the opportunity to refinance your medical school debt with low fixed rates to choose from. No co-signers, no maximums, and no changing of the rates based on how much debt you have. They also offer products to help you with any commercial needs that you may have, such as practice or surgery center buy-ins or equipment loans. And to top it off, Panacea Financial customer gets their own free personal banker who has a phone call or email away to provide you with the personalized service you deserve no matter where you move in your career. If you're ready to join the growing number of physicians nationwide who expect more from their bank, visit PanaceaFinancial.com today to learn more. Panacea Financial is a division of Primus Member FDIC. All right, so our patient completed her course of ACT. Her side effects were limited to moderate nausea in the two days following each cycle and progressive fatigue. She also lost a significant amount of her hair despite using cold cap therapy to try to reduce hair loss. 
Fortunately, repeat breast MRI demonstrates that her primary lesion appears to have decreased significantly in size and her axillary lymphadenopathy is resolved. She's scheduled for surgery. Dr. Alvarado, what are your considerations in determining her surgical approach, lumpectomy versus mastectomy, whether or not she needs an axillary lymph node dissection? Yeah, so these are great questions, and this is where we get down to trying to figure out not only what's uh, best for the patient, but really what the patient wants to do as well. And uh, these are decisions that are made typically uh, both with the surgeon and the patient. Now, as we said earlier, patients typically can undergo kind of classic lumpectomy or breast-conserving surgery with radiation, or the equivalent would be mastectomy with the option for immediate reconstruction. Now, typically patients don't need radiation after mastectomy. However, when patients have positive lymph nodes after neoadjuvant chemotherapy or a number of positive lymph nodes at the time of surgery, they still may need radiation when they have a mastectomy. So this is really important to make sure that the patient understands that she still may need radiation even if she has a mastectomy. But for a surgeon, there are only a few reasons that we actually recommend mastectomy. Classically, that would be for a tumor that's too large compared to the size of the breast, or if a patient could not have radiation for any reason, or potentially if she was BRCA positive, the BRCA mutation, and we felt that she had a very high risk of another breast cancer that, in that case, we might recommend bilateral mastectomy. But outside of those issues, it really does come down to patient preference, and this is when we need to sit with our patients and talk about lumpectomy with radiation um, versus mastectomy. If she's interested in mastectomy, we would have her see the plastic surgeon to discuss the types of reconstruction options, whether that's implant-based reconstruction or uh, autologous tissue. And the patient would have the option of speaking with the plastic surgeon for that. So it really comes down to patient preference, especially for this patient, since she's had such a great response and the tumor looks like it's shrunk down to allow for breast-conserving surgery. The next uh, discussion would be uh, regarding the axilla and the lymph nodes. So it used to be that if a patient had a positive lymph node and went on to neoadjuvant therapy, we tended to, unfortunately, have those patients do a complete axillary lymph node dissection. But luckily, with a number of clinical trials in the non-neoadjuvant setting that have shown sentinel node followed by radiation has been a good option. Um, There is data now for patients that have neoadjuvant chemotherapy and looking at response with regards to that sentinel node. So, for example, in this case, the patient would have the positive lymph node clipped before neoadjuvant chemotherapy, and then after the neoadjuvant chemotherapy, she could undergo a sentinel node procedure, something that we typically call a targeted axillary sentinel node dissection, and that would be basically removing the clipped node as well as at least probably two to three other sentinel nodes at the time of surgery. Now, this data is based off of the trial, the ACASOG-1071 trial, which showed that you can do sentinel node biopsy after neoadjuvant therapy for patients that had a previously positive node if they appeared to have a complete clinical response. So as long as you use dual tracer, so blue dye, for example, as well as technetium, and you try to remove at least three sentinel nodes as well as the clipped node, 
If all those nodes are negative and she's shown to have a complete pathologic response in those three or four nodes, then the false negative rate falls well below 10%, and this would be accepted as an adequate number. So it really does allow for downstaging with neoadjuvant therapy and potentially avoiding an axillary lymph node dissection. And how do you find the CLIP node? Sure. So the CLIP node, um, we call this, again, the targeted axillary node dissection. And there are a number of techniques uh, for identifying that CLIP node. Um, There are some institutions that place a wire into the node under stereotactic imaging. You can also use uh, dye like India ink, and that can be injected into the lymph node with ultrasound guidance, and you can uh, visually try to find the node. Um, And then also there are ways of utilizing what people refer to as GPS technology. So different types of other devices that can be placed in that clip node, and then intraoperatively you can find it with a handheld uh, machine uh, that identifies that, whether it's radio frequency or paramagnetism. At our institution, we use a device called the MagSeed. So the the MagSeed, which is the size of about the grain of rice, is placed into that same clip node by radiology under ultrasound. And then at the type of at the time of surgery, we utilize a handheld probe called the Centimag, and it detects that node, and we're able to target that specifically to remove it. Now, if she did need an axillary dissection, it's important to understand that. Axillary dissection for breast cancer consists of both levels 1 and 2, whereas an axillary dissection for melanoma used to really involve levels 1, 2, and 3. But, of course, that's changed as well. Alexa, here's your abscite question. What are the boundaries of the axillary levels 1, 2, and 3? So the pectoralis minor muscle is the landmark you need to know. Level 1 is lateral to the pec minor, level 2 lies beneath the pec minor, and level 3 is medial to it. But let's get back to our case. Our patient's genetic testing comes back negative for pathogenic mutations, so she decided to undergo a lumpectomy and sentinel node biopsy with targeted axillary dissection. Surgical pathology reveals 1 centimeter of residual grade 3 triple negative invasive ductal carcinoma with no ink present on the tumor, and zero of four positive nodes. One of those nodes has a demonstrable treatment effect. Dr. Mukhtar, does she need any additional surgery? Does she need to be treated with adjuvant chemotherapy? So in terms of surgery, she does not need any additional treatment. For invasive breast cancer, all we need in terms of margins are microscopically negative margins, meaning no ink on tumor. Uh, It's important to note that that's actually different than the recommended margin width for ductal carcinoma in situ, where we aim for a one to two millimeter margin. For the lymph nodes, she had four nodes removed, including the clipped node, and all of them were negative, so there is no indication for axillary dissection. This patient can move on to adjuvant radiation after all of the surgical incisions are healed. In regards to systemic therapy, Because she had residual triple negative breast cancer after neoadjuvant chemotherapy, she will unfortunately need some additional systemic treatment. Patients who have triple negative breast cancer who have residual disease after neoadjuvant chemotherapy benefit from adjuvant cape cytobine, as this has been demonstrated to confer a survival benefit. These data come from the CREATE-X trial. This was a randomized controlled trial of around 900 patients with HER2-negative breast cancer, 
A third of these patients had triple negative disease. Those who received adjuvant capecitabine had improved disease-free survival and overall survival. And subgroup analysis showed that the benefit of this adjuvant, adjuvant treatment was really in the subgroup that had triple negative disease. This is associated with some toxicities, including diarrhea, neutropenia, and hand-foot syndrome. Okay, so once our patient has completed therapy, what type of surveillance is warranted? So NCCN guidelines recommend at least an annual clinical breast exam and an annual mammogram for surveillance after breast cancer treatment. Since she had four lymph nodes removed, she should be educated about signs and symptoms of lymphedema, although the risk of that developing is low, probably under 5% with a sentinel node procedure. Since she received an anthracycline-based chemotherapy regimen, she may need an echocardiogram to evaluate for cardiac toxicity, including congestive heart failure, which can present in a delayed fashion. In my own practice, I usually obtain a breast MRI annually for patients who have extremely dense breasts, those who have genetic mutations but chose to undergo breast conservation, or those who had mammographically occult tumors. It's important to know when you might expect a recurrence to form. So for triple negative breast cancers, recurrences, if they happen, usually occur within the first two to three years after completing treatment. Okay, so to summarize what we discussed today, this 39-year-old woman with triple negative breast cancer underwent genetic testing, received neoadjuvant chemotherapy, and then underwent lumpectomy, sentinel node biopsy with targeted axillary dissection, radiation, and adjuvant capecitabine for her residual triple negative disease. She will be followed closely for recurrence, likely with mammogram and breast MRI every six months. If she had a genetic mutation, she would have been recommended to consider bilateral mastectomies. If she had residual nodal disease, she would have been recommended to consider completion axillary dissection. We hope that this case illustrates some important concepts in the management of triple negative breast cancer we want to thank you all for your time. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Until next time, dominate the day.